Today on Cinema Oblivia, would you like some nice toasted cheese sandwiches? Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivio, your podcast for discussions on films that are out of date, out of style, weird, old fashioned, never heard of, or you know, all that jazz. I am again your host, James Eldred, and returning, I think for the first time returning, right, is Shane, Shane Watch Bettenhausen. Yeah, I threatened to come back for uh, Can't Stop the Music, but instead I, I No, I threatened <laughs> to make you come back for Can't Stop the Music because I like that movie. Well, you talked so much, you know, mess about my wonderful previous appearance, uh, the, the film in that, you know, The Apple, the greatest film ever. And you, you, I know you want to talk about another, you know, disco musical, so. Can't Stop the Music is the second best disco movie ever made. It's the only G-rated film I've ever seen with full frontal male nudity. Yeah, I mean, it's like, hey. Again, great. <laughs> second best disco musical. The best disco musical is Xanadu. The second yeah. best disco musical is Can't Stop the Music. And the third best disco musical is The Apple. No, actually, no. The third best disco musical is, uh, um, thank God it's Friday. I think it's the name of the movie. I oh, forgot yeah. it was in- which- Oh, yeah, which I like. It has an amazing yeah. soundtrack. Uh, Oscar award, isn't it an Oscar award-winning film? Because it, it is the worst the... movie ever to be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> exactly. most, people, most people feel that way. And then yeah. the Apple. But right. hey, I've only seen four disco musicals. If I see a fifth, then I'm ready to knock the Apple down another notch. But we're well, not here to talk about the Apple today, even though Shane, I know you love the Apple. No, the apple what slices will go, go nicely with the toasted cheese sandwiches. Toasted and the candy cheese corn. sandwiches, yes, and the, and so, the bag of candy corn. I, in fact, I just made you a toasted cheese sandwich. I'm going to sit here and watch you eat it while I have some candy corn. That's creepy. Well, um, it's, it's, it's from Psycho Two. He just makes her eat it. It's, know, it's very I creepy. Know, I know. Yes, today we are talking about Psycho Two and Psycho Three, the much belated, underrated. I can't think of another word that rhymes with Ada that's not disgusting. Um, I, I, think, I, think for, I think mostly forgotten, kind of. Yeah, mostly, mostly yeah, almost mostly completely forgotten. forgotten sequels to the original Psycho. Psycho 2 came out in 1983, and Psycho 3 came out in... 86. I'm an idiot. 86, 86. yes, 86. 86. So, yeah. yeah, very belated sequels to, uh, you know, let's get it out of the way. I mean, one, one of the of greatest... One of the greatest movies. films ever made. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now... Hey, yeah, Psycho. That's a good movie. You should see it. <laughs> well, well, I guess, you know, we all talk about our first experiences. Do you even remember the first time you saw Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho? Um, I mean, I knew the twists well before I sh- saw the film. And, and you, you'd, see, you'd seen like clips of the shower scene, and I had seen the shower scene. I was scared. I was scared of taking showers as a kid because <laughs> of Psycho, even though I hadn't seen Psycho. In its entirety, which should really tell you. Also, I was an I was and am a neurotic mess. So, you know, uh, you're talking to somebody. If I am home alone at night, I have to lock my bedroom door. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm not normal, and I understand this. But um, yeah, I I think I probably saw Psycho. 
<laughs> I saw Psycho Four before I saw Psycho. Which is oh, that's well, it is a prequel. It's a prequel sequel. That's so. my that's my dad being my dad. Well, you know, I figured because your dad had the video store, you would have at some point in your early teens been like, oh, I need to go over to the classic Hitchcock section and check out these movies. That never happened. My dad you know? was not a huge like my dad liked Hitchcock, I imagine, but he that was he that was not a big thing for him. My stepmom loves Hitchcock, but I didn't. My stepmom wasn't my stepmom until I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I probably watched Psycho in high school or before or in college for a film class, and. Yeah, it's like, you know, a perfect film. And you also watch Psycho. You should also watch Psycho 2 and Psycho 3 before listening too much to this podcast because we're probably going to get pretty spoilery. Oh, I but, think we have, to, we have to spoil the hell out of these movies. Yes, you know? because, yeah. man. And so I watched Psycho a dozen times. Well, and and when Psycho, I, two, Psycho 2 and 3, I think, you know, assume you watch Psycho. I think if you, if you hadn't watched Psycho, even though they show you bits and pieces of Psycho, you really need to have seen Psycho to appreciate Psycho 2 and 3. Yeah, especially I, Psycho I, Two, especially yeah. Psycho Two, yeah. and I I hadn't watched Psycho for a long time until about eight years ago when I was first dating my boyfriend and I wanted to see this scary movie in hopes that he you know would go oh no protect me um <laughs> it worked anyway uh Shane well, what about I, you I would, I would also interject I don't think if you've seen Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho <laughs> that, that, that I mean it's I don't I don't completely hate it but it doesn't replace the original you still need to see Hitchcock's Psycho okay so. yes it's I have never seen Gus Van Sant's Psycho I have also not seen the 1980s TV movie Bates Motel and I have not seen the more recent Bates Motel TV <laughs> series either so my so, my my uh my knowledge with the Psycho franchise is the four core films and nothing else just to get so that I, out of the way. I mean, I don't completely remember the first time I saw Psycho, but it was definitely in my early teens when I was renting you know, classic horror movies and classics and just trying to like, you know, watch movies because we, we finally got a VCR and I, I definitely, like, you know, I'd heard of Psycho. I, I rented it um, and I, I liked it even more than, I think I, at that point I'd watched The Birds, which I liked, but I liked Psycho even, even more. Um, and I was aware there was a Psycho too because I'd faintly remembered it being at the cinemas, you know, when it came out in 83 because it was it came out like a week after return of the jedi and stuff yes. like you know it was like you know it was it was in this it was a summer film too like which you know in horror movies weren't often summer movies so obviously and it was a big fucking deal and we'll talk about it, that it later yeah yeah and and you know i think obviously universal like saw it as like a big as a, you know, a big movie and it, and it did pretty well and like but you know i didn't see it when it came out in, in theaters and then um i had a friend who was really into film and he was kind of recommending films to me in like you know eighth grade and he was like he sat me down and made me watch Psycho too. He's like, because like I didn't think it would be good, right? I was like, oh, the, you know, how is that? It's not the same director, or whatever. He's like, no, it's actually really good. Sat me down, made me watch it on VHS, and I, I loved it. I thought it was so clever and different and weird and expansive and like, you know. But then I, I was like, immediately I was like, oh, should we watch Psycho three? Because you know it was right there in the video store next to Psycho two, mm-hmm. and my friend was like, no, it's terrible. Don't watch it. And so because of, <laughs> because of that. Because my friend Scott, who's like a film professor in St. John's, told me Psycho Three was terrible. I never watched it until this week for this podcast, and I'm and it's okay. interesting, and I'm glad I waited. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think they they really work together. Even though I, mm-hmm. I still think Psycho Two is a much better film, but Psycho yeah. Three is is kind of trashy and fun and um and interesting. So yeah, and now that I think about it, when you mentioned like the remembering them coming out when I was a kid again a video store story when I was a kid. The boxes for Psycho would scare me, uh, and I remember the box for Psycho too because it's the poster, which is a great poster, yeah. which is just the sh- silhouette of the house and Norman. 
And in my brain, because I had no context, Psycho is this was the same as Norman was the same as Freddy and Jason. Like he he was like you know as like a you know a hero, slasher villain, a slasher ki- killer from movie to movie. Not even yeah. a heroic. When I was a little kid, they were no, there were nothing heroic about right. those oh, those, those characters. Terrified yeah, me. J- yeah, Jason and, and Freddy were terrifying. Yeah, yeah what well, you know, and so he was right up there with those characters. So I I as a kid, I had kind of a of a skewed view of these films, and I did not watch Psycho two and Psycho three until last year. Um, oh, wow. And. I forgot somebody, I was reading something and someone's like, Psycho 2 is underrated. And so I'm like, okay, I'll watch Psycho 2. And hey, they were right. <laughs> Psycho oh, 2 it's, is underrated. It's, it, it, not only is it underrated, but it, like, it really holds up. Like, you know, I think and a lot, there's a lot of talent involved with it. You know, I mean, we'll probably get into it on the production yeah. side. But like, you know, it's, it's, it's shot by Dean Cundy, you know, and like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, 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 a, it's beautifully filmed. Like it really looks like that. That's one of the things that surprised beautifully shot and like looked better than I remembered it looking, you know, as a kid, like, you know, I think it really, it really holds up as, as just, you know, a visual piece of film. Yeah. And so I do want to talk about the production of it really quick. So we'll get into, um, the who's, who, who made it and everything, but it, it has a strange production because Psycho, original Psycho, is based on a book by Robert Block, who, I'll be honest, I know nothing about. I'm not a book person. I'm, 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 I'm illiterate. Uh, and just kidding, no. But um, I, I know it was a hit. You know, it was like it was like a pop. You know, like, you know, summer read. It was it was very big popular, pop but, hit. Yeah, came out in 1959, but you know, then the movie came out a couple years later, and, and a year later, and then in 1982, for some reasons, a Robert Block decided to write a sequel to Psycho. Well, and, he, <laughs> and I, I I haven't read that sequel, but I I no. find the content like the, the the premise of it really interesting. I mean, you, you might have it. Like, you know, you're probably going to go into it's, what it's about, but it's it's yeah, well, kind well, of like, you, you say, yeah, you say what it's about. What's it about? It's, you know, it's it's uh, it's Norman Bates gets out, and they're making in Hollywood. They're making like a movie based on what what he had done, and he goes and like terrorizes the set, and you know tries to kill the people making the movie. It's kind of Scream Three, bef- like 25 years early. Like it's yes, kind of clever, and like that would be a really that would have been a really interesting movie, but I guess Universal hated it, so they. <laughs> They hired someone else to write a completely different script, right? Yeah, a lot of people hated it, and I think the only re- it was weird because, from what I can tell, Universal wasn't going to make a Psycho two until that book came out, and they they wanted to distance themselves from the book, or they didn't want somebody else maybe to make a movie based on that book, right? Um, and so the book is very strange. Norman's not the killer. Um, it's it's a weird story. I like I said, I've never heard of it. And there's also a, a third one that has even less to do. Psycho House, yeah. Psycho House, which is a great yeah. name for a book. But well, and 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 Anthony Perkins did not want to return to this role because it kind of it didn't ruin his career, but it definitely like derailed his career in many ways. It derailed his career. Yeah, let's talk about Anthony Perkins. Let's get let's get him out of the way because he's. He, there's so much about Anthony and Perkins. Like, I'm curious, what did you think? Like when you were, you know, 12, what did you know of? What do you think of Anthony Perkins? Like I when I was so, I didn't think of Anthony Perkins. Um, <laughs> because when I was 12, he was dead. Um, and you had died in '92, and, and you hadn't seen Psycho. Had you seen the Black Hole? <laughs> I mean, I don't. You know, I haven't seen the Black Hole since I was a little kid. I don't, and I don't remember. I don't remember him in the Black Hole, to be honest. I'll have to watch it again. I don't. I don't remember all I remember about the black hole is that it's stupid as hell. No, oh God. well, I think the black hole de- deserves to be on this podcast because it's weird. Well, it's me like... too, me too. But I, I want to watch it again. But okay. the only yeah, other films I've seen Anthony Perkins in, he's in Murder on the Orient Express, the good version from 1974, and he is in one of my favorite movies. Well, he's in a he. Okay, well, he's in the he's in 
Okay. So I've seen him in Murder on the Orient Express. I'm looking at his filmography. I have seen On the Beach, which is a horribly depressing film I would not recommend. Um, that, is, that is depressing. Yeah. Yes, it's about nuclear. It's about the nuclear holocaust. Don't don't watch it. He's in a film that I own a bootleg DVD of called The Destroyer, which is a slasher film starring Lyle Alzado, <laughs> the 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 football player, the former wow. Oakland Raider. Um, it's bad, and Anthony Perkins is playing like an asshole director in it. It's a bad movie. And then I saw more recently, I watched. Crimes of Passion, which is a Ken Russell film with um, Kathleen Turner and Annie Potts is in that, Bruce Davison, um, and Anthony Perkins plays a psychotic, sexually obsessed uh, priest who oh. murders people with a metallic vibrator okay. he named Super. He, he kills people with a gigantic vibrator named Superman. Oh my God. Okay. Adding to my list. And the score is by Rick Wakeman. Wow! Um, yeah, Trust that movie Trust. is that movie is fucking bonkers. Oh, but anyway, yeah, Anthony Perkins. That's not that was not his goal in his career. Anthony well, Perkins well, he was, started in the fifties as like a heartthrob, like leading man. Yeah, yeah, he was a teen idol. He was a teen idol. That was his thing. He was, you know, and they were one of the last teen idols. Paramount was kind of want to make him a matinee star, and. Early in his career, he was in a lot of like very, very, very well acclaimed roles, like super um, respected as an actor. He was Oscar nominated. He was in a lot of Broadway roles. He's in the original Broadway version. Not, I don't think he's the original, but yeah, he, he replaced John Kerr on the Broadway version of Teen Sympathy. And John Kerr, I think, is in the movie. And But that was a big role for him. And a lot of other big roles like that. But at the same time, he missed a lot of big roles. He was supposed to be in East of Eden. Mm. He was supposed to be in Rebel Without a Cause. He was supposed to be in Some Like It Hot. And some of these were just because James Dean won the part. Um, because, duh. Others were because the studio didn't want him in anything that was could compromise his public perception because... Um, Anthony Perkins was in a lot of gay relationships. Yeah, and, and, and at, one, at one point when he was dating Tab Hunter, they were like kind of competing for the same films too, even even though they were dating. Yeah, competing yeah. for the same films, and he would not stop dating men. And like, there's a famous story where the studio head is like a lot of studio heads back then, a lot of people back then viewed homosexuality as just sex. You know what I mean? They didn't view it as a relationship, and so. He was confronted by a Paramount exec. It's like, you have to stop seeing Tab Hunter. And Anthony Perkins was like, no, I, I love him. And he just didn't know how to respond to that. <laughs> well, I, I believe in the, in the 70s, maybe he, he also went through conversion therapy and got married, had kids. There's a lot of weird stuff about Anthony Perkins. So like he, after Psycho, his career takes a hit. He gets typecast. He's in, he's in a few big movies. He's in The Trial by, uh, by Orson Welles and... Um, a few of the movies, but he has a hard time getting solid work. He is often typecast or people want to typecast him, but he won't do it. He becomes a writer. He wrote a movie with Steven Sodheim called the last of Sheila, which is supposed yeah. to be very good. Actually, I just picked that up. They just released it on Blu-ray. I haven't watched it yet, but I hear it is quite yeah. good. Yeah. I think Raquel I heard Welch. It's very good. Raquel, I think Raquel Welch is in it. I th- well, oh no. Um, <laughs> but he's in a lot of TV movies. He, he got, a, you know, that. And at the same time, in his personal life, yeah, there was some strange story about conversion therapy. He did marry a woman who was like half his age. 
and they had um, two, they had two kids. His son is a director. He directed uh, Grand, uh, Hansel and Gretel, Gretel and Hansel. Oh, okay. And his other, his other son's a musician. Elvis Perkins is a musician. Yeah, the one's Oz, um, Oz Perkins. Yeah. Oz and Elvis. Oz but, is named after Anthony's dad. But I believe Oz there was a there was a big tell all biography of him that came out after his death, and they said that even after he got married, it was you know he still dated men. I don't want to get into his personal yeah. life too much, you know, as that's a lot of hearsay. Um, I will bring up the things he brought up. And in the production, during the promotion of Psycho 2, he claimed that his mother's, his relationship with his mother was dist- was deeply unhealthy. And that one of the reasons, like, his mother would inappropriately touch him mm. and all this other stuff like that. And he said that that made him gay. Kind of like wow. he didn't say it outright, but he that's an old stereotype, too, is that right. a, 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 a man's unhealthy relationship with his mother can turn him into homosexual. Yeah. And again, I don't know how true that is. Later on, during the promotion for, and in, in these interviews, he's very candid that he had gay relationships. Um, later on in his in when promoting Psycho 3, he walked that back a bit mm. and he didn't say it wasn't true, but he 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 didn't want to talk about it anymore. Well, so and, I don't and, know yeah, what for, for younger yeah. for younger listeners like you know to be openly out and gay as a man in Hollywood in the eighties was impossible. Like it, you know things have changed so much in forty years. Like you know I think he you know he, even if he wasn't you know just just he could have been bi or poly or who knows like the back then it was just so different. And I think that like yeah in a different time he might not have had such a fraught career. You know, yeah. the the, the idea of being, the idea of a, a someone saying, "Hey, I'm bisexual," it wasn't really a thing. Well, <laughs> wasn't spoken of back then. You were yeah. gay or straight, but like especially if think, you, especially if you were a man, especially if you were a man. I do think you know we probably won't get into Psycho One and if it, the, maybe a problematic trans reading of Norman Bates. Yeah, in that, in that. But I think the inherent queerness of Anthony Perkins is something that gets brought to the character of Norman Bates. But I think actually Psycho Two and even more so Three do a lot in many ways to kind of like not make him seem like Norman Bates as like an asexual or queer character and kind of make him more normal and try to, you know, he's aggressively heterosexual in psycho three. Yeah, definitely. Sure. Psycho three like, is a big with, turn. Like psycho three is a huge turn narratively. And it actually kind of like psycho two. Is so clever that psycho three reverting back to being more like psycho one is to me kind of disappointing. Um, but in psycho two, you know, I, I don't think he seems as queer coded maybe i don't know in some ways yeah they, they changed the character a lot for psycho 2 and 3 and in a way that i think makes sense but it is it is a little strange but like anthony perkins i think was one of the biggest roadblocks into making this film because he was so over the character and it really wasn't until the 70s that his wife was like hey get over it <laughs> like in people think you're a weirdo embrace it you know and I think once that happened and then this book came out that the studio was behind making the film and they got a script together and they offered it to him. And if he would have said no, it would have been a TV movie. Right. And they were going to cast, um, who, someone was like Christopher, Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken was yeah. the rumored casting. There's a lot of rumors with this film. Like when you read about these movies, you can find a lot of unsourced information that's kind of that's unsourced the idea that more of the original cast was going to return but chose not to is unsourced some people said that they were going to have jamie lee curtis in the film which would Mm. make sense but 
um, Richard Frank, the director and the writers both were like, that's too obvious. In the, so, Mary, in the Mary role, right? Yeah, I would imagine uh, uh, the, the idea of like her being Mary <sighs> I mean, or, uh, or rewriting the film and making it be her daughter. As much you as know? I, yeah, as much as I enjoy Mary, the Mary we got, I think I would have been amazing to have Jamie Lee Curtis in that role. But I mean, I watched Jamie Lee Curtis and damn near anything, so you know, there's that. was written by Tom Holland. Tom Holland. I guess coming off of Class of 1984 must have been his kind of break breakthrough, right? Yeah, that's a that's a great movie. Yeah. He also wrote The Beast Within a few years before that too. I haven't seen that. Is that and, good? Uh it's something. Um it's a, but, it's entertaining. But I think he's best I think he's best known later as the writer and director of Fright Night. I mean, I know you yeah, love he, you love Cloak and Dagger. I know that. <laughs> I love he wrote Cloak and Dagger and the director of Cloak and Dagger Richard Franklin directed this movie. Right. Um but he wrote Cloak and Dagger. He wrote Class of 84. It's a great movie. And then he had a, a good run of, he did Fright Night and Child's Play. Right. But then, unfortunately, and what, what happened with Thinner? Oof. Not Thinner, good. Thinner, you know, let's not talk about, we don't talk about Thinner. No. He also directed Fatal Beauty, the Whoopi Goldberg drug. <laughs> I was um, going to ask you about that because I, I saw, I was looking through his, his, his IMDb and I was like, what is this? So wait, is it like, a, <laughs> is it like an action movie starring Whoopi Goldberg? It is a Whoopi Goldberg acts and crime movie. Yes, um, is it is it good? Question. The mark? only thing I remember about I watched Fatal Beauty when it came out, so I was eight, and the only scene because and that wasn't my dad's fault. That was my brother. Um, the only thing I remember from Fatal Beauty is that there's a scene. So in Fatal Beauty, there's a designer drug that kills people. Ooh. and they go to like this college party, and everyone's dead. And like it's this, it's it's kind of morbid. It's kind of like I mean, kind of scary. Are, there aren't jokes. She's not saying jokes during this. It's a fu- <laughs> my in my eight year old brain. In my eight year old brain, that scene is fucked up. Mm. Uh, I don't remember anything else really about the movie. Well, but, I might need I'm, I might need to check it out. We'll have to find a bit of yes. Um, what was I going to say? But yeah, so yeah, he he they had him and the directors Richard Franklin, who I've talked about before on this podcast. He um, was a kind of a student of Hitchcock and had met him mm. when they when filming Topaz. He also is Australian. He directed Patrick, which is a great uh, Hitchcock ripoff. Um, Road Games was a really fun movie with Jamie Lee Curtis and Stacey Keach. Cloak mm. and Dagger, Link, my second favorite killer monkey movie after Shockma, <laughs> and um, FX2. And then he went back to Australia, but he did do the Beastmaster TV show. And then. The, the producer of this is Hilton A. Green, who was the AD on Psycho. Oh, interesting. And I, th- I think the studio reached out to him because they knew they were kind of, uh, you know, taking a risk by making this movie. And they wanted to get somebody who was t- connected to Psycho. So right. and he, he, he knew Anthony and, and you know, and, and uh, some, mm-hmm. some of the other people come back like like Vera Mills. And uh, yeah. So yeah. And, well, and, and, and he he. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say, there is rumor that this was kind of a tense set and that, you know, Perkins, yeah, made, yeah. Perkins made it difficult. We'll I, get there in a minute. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 
but like Hilton A. Green, like he 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 sought out the permission from uh, Hitchcock's daughter to make this film, you know, and he's kind of the connective tissue. He produced some other films. He produced Sixteen Candles and Encino Man, oh. Son in Law, oh, and Home Alone Three. Huh. Maybe he, yeah, knew so- pa- maybe he knew Polly Shore's mom. She was cool. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, but like as you mentioned earlier, the deep the the cinematographer is Dean Cundy, um, you know who's kind of a good cinematographer. <laughs> yeah, classic. Go go watch out. Jurassic <laughs> Park, Jurassic Park, Hollow, all, most most of John Carpenter's films. Um, God, Casper, Back to the Future. Um, a lot of who a lot fr- of who framed Roger films. Rabbit, Roadhouse, um, Roadhouse. I'll just keep saying Roadhouse. Because uh, that's a great movie, and the music's by Jerry Goldsmith, who did did everything. He, he, you know, yeah, he played, and and you know, and but but I will say this does kind of fit into you know, yeah. Obviously, it references the original score several times, but it, it also does kind of fall into that wheelhouse of just kind of sweeping orchestral kind of sounds like other Jerry Goldsmith scores at points. There were points where I was like, oh, is this yeah. the story, is this the store in Over California tune that he wrote? Like. It's good, but there's times when it just kind of it did stand out as a little old fashioned. Um, it's not as it's not as it's not as blatant as when James Horner does that. Right. I was watching. I watched Crawl last week. I don't know why. <laughs> and um, the endings part of Crawl is that's just the music from Aliens. Like he just reused the music from Crawl for Aliens. Well, yeah, he 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 was so prolific. He would just kind of like re- copy himself and remix himself. He played himself a lot. Yeah. 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 Jerry, yeah. Jerry Gold is not not as obvious, but. Yeah, so good, good behind the scenes caliber here, and you know, in 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 front of the camera, good work too. So, the story of Psycho Two is it takes place twenty two years later, just like in real time, and Norman Bates is being released from the psychiatric ward, and things shit goes sour, but not how you would expect. And to kind of like push things along narratively. The, the conflict there is that uh, Leela Crane Loomis, the Marion's sister, is pissed that he's out. And she, they got the same actress. They got Vera Mills. Right. To, well, actually, to, actually, you did skip to the second scene. I actually love how Psycho 2 opens. It opens. Oh, so how does Psycho 2 open? It opens with the black and white 1961 Universal logo, which I don't think at that time they were doing a lot of those custom logos. You know, like these, you no. know, the, last, the last 20 years, there's lots of that. But back then, that was special. And you know you get to see a truncated version of the shower scene from Psycho. Mm-hmm. Yes, and like it's a dangerous move because like you know you're already showing you're like you're like oh here's a you know here's here's a classic movie that you love so it's like you will will the rest will Psycho two live up to this you know just like show you a bunch of Psycho one so it's it's just <laughs> interesting that that's how it chooses to begin you know yeah but it is a ballsy move to get Vera Mills to come back. Yeah, especially um, since since you know, she, what she, to character. right? Especially what happens to your character, how she's kind of morphed into the villain antagonist of this film. Yeah, and and you're right. She, she was originally cast in in Vertigo, but she couldn't she couldn't do it because she got pregnant, right? Yeah, and she mostly became a TV actress in the 60s and 70s, and the movies too. You know, she's in a few John Wayne films, and but she was in like uh, Gunsmoke, The Virginian, eight million Western TV shows, Bonanza. And later on, like um, Little House on the Prairie, and this is one of her last films. Her last film is in 1995, a film called Separate Lives, which I have never heard of, and with with Jim Belushi and Linda Hamilton. Um, she is still alive. 
Wow. Yes, he was born in 1929. She's Miss Kansas, 1948. Well, but I mean, hey, you know what? I think she's great, and I think she's game. Yeah. I mean, this is very different in tone than mm-hmm. what she normally is used to doing, and like, especially like, you know, the way she the way she goes out is is the best death in the movie, I think. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we'll get the, yeah. So again, we'll kind of spoilers. Spoilers. Um, we'll get there eventually, but yeah, then joining joining Vera Mills is you know, so Norman gets a job at a diner, and. Through his psychiatrist <laughs> Robert Logia, <laughs> which, which so I, I'm so used to him being a bad, like an asshole, that like the fact that he's like a sweet and loving psychiatrist is just I kept you know I kept waiting this for this. Yeah. This is kind of peak Logia. Um, he was in Officer and a Gentleman, really small part, but a big part. He plays Richard Gere's dad in that movie, and then he's in Jagged Edge, and he's nominated for an Oscar for that. Oh, really? Yeah, which is a weird because that that's which is weird because Jagged Edge is a stupid. I mean, I like Jagged Edge, but that's a stupid fucking movie. But uh, <laughs> I recommend if you like a good '80s courtroom drama with a lot of scenes of people the the gallery in a courtroom going <laughs> and the judge saying, "I'll empty this court." You know, that's the kind of film that is. But um, yeah, he plays the psychiatrist here, a doctor who's trying to rehabilitate uh, Norman. And gets him a job at a diner. Well, and you, and and, you do love how everybody, everybody here, like his yes. his psychiatrist, the sheriff, the people at the diner, everyone is so trusting and willing to accept that. Oh, you, you know, he he did his time. Like like everyone, yeah. everyone's very pro, you know, rooting, really rooting for Norman. And like as the viewer, but you know this in the film, you're rooting for him too. You're like, oh, you know, I, I'm yeah, all in this. Yeah. This film, so yeah, in Psycho Two, and well, again, we're, we're going to do full spoilers. Psycho 2, Norman is really not the villain. Norman is the hero. Is a and victim. Spo- spoiler alert. A victim. Spoiler alert. He doesn't kill anybody. Until the very end. Right. <laughs> Until the, when he really kills end. somebody. Right. Yes. And But he is the victim of this film. Like, he, yeah. is, he is the protagonist, and he is trying so hard to keep his very tenuous grip on sanity. And there are just forces beyond his control that are just pushing him towards madness. Uh, a small force doing that is Dennis Franz, who is so good. Who is, I, I, who I is forgot. The, the, yeah, the hotel so manager. I, so I had forgotten just how good he was because I think back when I first saw this film, I didn't know who he was really. Like you know, and like he, he kind of gave notoriety on NYPD Blue. Um, yeah, but like he is too. You know, he, he he's just a sleazy hotel manager, and he's so good. He's really fun yeah. to watch. Dennis Dennis Franz in the early '80s was required by law to play a policeman, a sleazeball, or a sleazeman or a sleazeball policeman, like in Dress to Kill. And but he's in a lot of early De Palma films too. He's in Dress to Kill. He's in Body Double, which is an amazing movie. And he's he has a small role here, but he he just oozes shithead. Like he's such an asshole. And you really got to be a prick to make the audience root for the serial killer. Yeah, yeah, this guy, he you know, you you're wanting him to get killed. And like yeah, at, you want- at, at the point at which you think it might be Norman who kills him, like I was like I understand, like that's kind of justifiable. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you fucked him up. But uh I think and then there's other people in this diner that are trying to help him and then there's a new waitress at the diner, Mary, played by Meg Tilly. Very young. Her- she, and she looks so young, right? Like how yeah, young is she? Like- how young is she? I don't know, eight. No, she is. She was born in 1960. So she's 22. Okay. And 
it's her third major role after some um, One Dark Night and Tex, which both came out in 82. After this, she was in Agnes of God and nominated for an Oscar. But her career kind of didn't stay on track either. I think she mostly does writing now. And yeah, I think her, I sister, most, her, her sister's acting career definitely took off more. Yes. I mean, in, into into Chucky, but yes. <laughs> um, I think I, when I think of Meg Tilly, I think of Abel Ferreira's version of Body Snatchers. Mm. Uh, have you seen that? I have, but it's been a long time. I, I should watch. Well, it she again. has the she has the best scene in that movie where she is turned into a, a body snatcher, and her husband's trying to get her to go, and she's like, "Where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna run? Where are you gonna hide?" And it's an amazing, terrifying sequence. She is fantastic in that movie. She's a very good actress. She's how very you, good in this movie. I was saying, like, how, how do you feel about her performance? Are you, you so you you're really into it? You think it's good? I like Meg Tilly as an actress and as a person. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. I know that she clashed with Anthony Perkins on the set to the point where he tried to get her fired. Wow. And um, I don't know if that's some divaing on his end or divaing on her end. I don't know the full story there. I. Uh, I know there was an issue there. I think she didn't understand why so many people gave a shit about Anthony Perkins. Oh, she hadn't seen you know, Psycho, right? I think I read that. She hadn't seen Psycho, seen... which is kind of hilarious. Like, bitch, what Psycho? Do your homework, uh, right? I mean, do your it, homework, it, it, yeah. was the 80, it was the 80s. It was a lot harder to get a tape, you know? No, it was 82. I mean, <laughs> you're working for Universal. I bet they have a copy. So Just, just spitballing now. I, I was kind of mixed on her performance. Like, I, and, and, I, I, I think that she's interesting and, like, captivating and i actually i over the course of the film she does draw me draw me into her story but like there's this weird negative chemistry between her and norman for me and i think that's okay in a way Mm -hmm. because he's a strange duck and like and when she realized initially that like yes spoiler alert that like you know she's she's part of the grift with her mom that she's yeah like she and her mother are leaving these creepy notes and trying to drive him mad uh you know but eventually she feels bad about that but so i think you know, in the first third of the first third of the movie, her acting kind of awkward or weird actually makes sense. I was like, maybe it's 40 yeah. chess, you know, when you um, watch it a second time, her character makes more sense. Cause the first time you watch it, you're like, there are a lot of contrivances to get her in this hotel. Yeah. But I also think, but then you watch it and you're like, Oh, that's planned. Some of her, so delivery, that makes more sense. Some of her delivery is weird. I think a lot of it's ADR. And I think that like, mm, I think some yeah. of her performance is like pieced together or something for me. Maybe, yeah, I don't, it's a strange character because, like, as you said, like, she is, Norman does not know this, but she is Leela Crane's daughter. Right, and um, it's weird, like, there's a scene towards the end where not, you know, like, in, in one of the few scenes in another location where it's, like, at the downtown uh, motel where her Vera's staying, where mm-hmm. Lily, uh, Lila Crane is staying, and, like, when it's just um, Mary and her mother, like, Mary's very animated, like, very, you know, a lot of energy and it's like a kind of a different different side of her you hadn't seen the rest of the film yeah it's cool i think that's good acting i think yeah. it shows her tenuous relationship with her mom because i think right. even when mary agreed to go in on this scheme to make norman crazy she wasn't down with it in 100 percent. and then once she gets to know norman i don't think she falls in love with norman i think she sympathizes with him so mm-hmm. much that she feels bad for him even yeah. though he killed her aunt which well, is an I- interesting Interesting story idea. And I do like that doubling that, you know, Mary has her own twisted relationship with her controlling, domineering mother. She's a victim of yeah, her mother, th- too. You know? That's a great point. Yeah, this movie, it's Vera becomes the villain, or Leela Crane becomes the villain because Leela Crane turns into an evil, domineering mother. Right. It's such an interesting idea. And yeah. 
I, I think it, it plays it, like w- when you first watch this movie and Norman starts seeing his mother's notes and mother in the shadows, like you have no idea what the hell is going on. Right. And yeah, there's the hallmarks of, of psycho where like, you know, he'll hear her, you know, you, you, when you hear mother's voice, you know, you Norman. know, you know that it's Norman doing her, her voice and that like diegetically he is doing the voice in real life. Right? No, That's, he's not. Sometimes he is. In sometimes Psycho he 1. is, but yeah, yeah not but always. There's, there's, a, there's an uncredited actress who's doing the voice a lot. Yeah, right. I but, her like, name. but I think the idea is that the character is speaking for her. Yes, in, like yes. and yeah, like actually, audio, you know, audibly speaking. Um, but yeah, like as the viewer, as this movie progresses, there is the question of like, I guess you know, we're kind of skipping. Around, you know, but like, is is any of it really happening when the phone rings and its mother is is someone calling? And eventually, it is all revealed at the end. But like. It does kind of leave the viewer guessing in a fun way. Well, know? like it's it's early on you imagine, you you assume that when someone is calling and being mother, it's it's Leela Crane, and even Mary assumes that that is Leela Crane. But Leela is pretty pretty adamant. Hey, that's not me. And then early on in the film, Norman is locked in the attic because Mary Mary rearranged Mother's room to look like it used to, and then she has to lock Norman in the attic to undo it so he thinks he's going crazy and while he's locked in the attic two in kind of a contrived scene two teenagers break into the basement to have to smoke weed and have sex and they are are brutally 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 murdered yeah this scene is interesting to me because like the rest of this movie the rest of it is so not an 80s slasher movie at all Mm -hmm. like not like zero percent which is really interesting because slashers were you know the hottest shit by 1982 right you know huge like you know yeah. halloween friday 13th changed everything and suddenly for like one scene there is like 80 slasher with you know drugs and nudity and sex and murder and like, yeah you know, it's it's just interesting how like there's like one dab of it in this film yeah. yes and then but the girl escapes and goes to the cops but the cops are like hey there's no body here and norman has an alibi and the mary lies and says they were together but she still knows norman couldn't have done it because right. she personally locked him in the attic. So at that point, you realize someone is killing somebody, and it ain't Norman, and it's not probably not Mary. And so you're kind of veering towards it being Leela Crane. But when late in the movie, and also Dennis Franz has been killed too early right. on in the film. Yeah. And then. Later in the film, when when Leela Crane goes back to the house because both her and Mary have been dressing like mother to scare Norman, so she goes back into the basement. Well, I, to, and, and I remember, you know, I, I was kind of surprised that she would have the gall to do this, and she goes right down in there, and like her death. Oh, like, oh my, yeah. So she goes to put on the mother costume, and then someone puts it behind, and in I think in. One of the most shocking on-screen deaths I've ever seen in my entire life in a movie. Butcher not only do they through the not, head, no, through the mouth, through the back, through the front the of the mouth, into yeah. the back of the head. It Ooh. is, and the fact that they do that to one of the surviving characters of Psycho, and they kill her, they make her a villain, she, she and read then this- kill her. In the yeah, most the, brutal way possible. She read the script. Is like, yes, this is how I'm going to do this movie. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm down. Hats, hats off. It, it is. It is an amazing scene. It's really good. It is a brave scene and a brave yeah. performance. Yeah. And that's when the film goes batshit. And I do. 
we're moving pretty fast. We've got to talk about Psycho 3 also. Right. But I I like how at the end, Mary's trying to calm Norman down. So in a really bad move, she dresses like her mother, <laughs> like his mother. Uh, Robert Logius shows up to try to trap Mary. Mary accidentally kills him really well, hardcore. <laughs> which is like a threat. And it's, it's, he falls down the stairs and gets bailed, right? Yeah. Which It's a throwback to how the Detective Arbogast dies in Psycho 1, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Those, stairs, those stairs in that house have killed more people than the sour did. Well, and, and just um, quick, quick interjection. But you know, This climax is amazingly fun and insane. But we also kind of forgot that like there are several direct homages to you know other scenes from Psycho One, including the shower oh, scene, yeah. which, we, which we skipped over. The shower scene, you know, the shower scene. At one point, you can see Hitchcock's shadow in right. the. Yeah, you can see it in the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, and doesn't he? Doesn't someone end up in the swamp? Is it is it Dennis Franz who ends up in the car in the swamp? In yeah, the there's cars yeah. in the swamp. Yeah, so it does hit most of the beats of Psycho One. I think it has to hit those beats a little bit because if you don't, it's a delicate balance, right? Because if you reference it too much, people think you're copying it. But if you don't reference it, people like what you're trying to ignore. I think it, yeah, I think it does a good job. And then like, as we'll see, Psycho 3 does it all again. (laughs) And it has its own look to it too, I think, thanks to the director and Dean Cundey. Like it's really well lit. It's it's lit in a in a modern it, way, yeah. It's but yet the house is you know such a good sense of place, and it really is the place you remember. And they actually yeah. got a lot of the same props and stuff from from the original film. For they even had the same shower head, but then somebody stole it, mm. which is crazy. So, yeah. so there's, there's this, in, in some in some old in some there's some union grip somewhere in Hollywood who in his apartment has a shower head from Psycho. That's, you know, stolen. Um, so yes, we're we're in the house, and uh, Mary, dressed as mother, is chasing him around the house, and he he doesn't want to hurt her. He doesn't want to hurt her. So he keep he he says he doesn't want to hurt her, but I I think at that once he is fully convinced. I think at that point that Mary is his mother, and you know what happens to Norman's mother. <laughs> so I think she's a little concerned. She kind of defensively stabs him in the hands, and then she, she in very. Like, Five times, though. Yeah, yeah, but very shallow. It's right. very strange. And then she sees her mom's dead body in the basement. She assumes Norman has killed her. He, She goes to kill Norman. The cop show up and kill her. And then so everyone assumes that she's the killer. She yeah, because like like because um the the bellhop at the hotel yeah, the motel yeah, over over her, her like yeah. fighting with her mother and like informs the cops so that yeah they 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 pen all the murders uh, on Mary. Yes. And then Norman's sitting at home making a nice toasted cheese sandwich, <laughs> which is a great way to say grilled cheese. And the knock on the door. And then it is his coworker, who we have not mentioned, a little old lady named Emma Spool. Right. And who, who seemed very friendly. And when she first met Norman, she's like, oh, I believe in second chances. Yes. And then C calmly sits down and she explains that, well, it's inferred that she killed C killed those people. You know, and she claims to be Norman's real mother. And she was the one and, who, was call, who was calling, you know. Yes, she was the one who was the calling. Mis- the mystery caller and, and yes. that she was Norman's real mother. Yes. yes. And to which Norman responds by poisoning her with the same poison that killed his, that killed his, his, his original mom and then beats her on the head the fucking shovel until she dies. <laughs> just the scene of him picking up the shovel and just like... Knocking this old lady over the head. It, it's mm-hmm. yeah. It is. And it then fight an ending. Mother is back, and mother tells Norman to open the hotel. The end. 
<laughs> and it is gr- even with Norman killing her at the end, I still feel sorry for him. Yeah, this this film does an amazing job of turning him into a relatable hero who you're rooting for, who many of the people in the world of the film are rooting for, and you know, like I, I think no one would have expected this much, you know, uh, of a conspiracy against him. So I, I think he, I think he, 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 he to me. I end the film thinking that he's a hero, and and uh, yeah, it's weird that I never watched Psycho three after all these years, after loving this film so much, and like <laughs> you know, I, I hadn't watched it in about fifteen years, and I I think I liked it even more now. Like I think I would raise my rate to like a four and a half stars. I really like Psycho two. Yeah, and a lot of people liked it. Like I didn't pull a lot of reviews for this. There was still a lot of negative reviews. Ebert didn't like it. A lot of critics, nobody, most critics didn't love it. But even the ones who hated it were like, hey, you know what? They could have done a lot worse. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I think it, for a, for a budget for at the, at the time was, you know, probably pretty high for a little horror movie, but like it, it did pretty well at the box office and on home yeah, video. It did, yeah, you know, it, the budget was decent. It was about I, uh, five, five uh, or six, four, four to eight million. It's hard to get concrete figures on that kind of stuff. Yeah. Four to eight million. And it, it did good. It made about, what did it make? It made $38 million. It opened at number two behind Jedi because it opened the week after the week, Jedi. The week after Jedi. Um, and it stayed in the top ten for six weeks. It it made its money back and then some. And it was kind of one of many sequels that came out that year. That same summer had Jaws three, Jedi, the official Bond movie, and the and the unofficial one of Sean Connery, and that terrible sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Which hey, you know what is a better movie than the? You know what the Apple's a better movie than? Saturday Night Fever. I hate that movie. Um, but yeah, so it, it did well. People liked it. And kudos to them for making a movie that I think a lot of people just did not did not believe in. It's definitely better and, than, yeah. you know, it's much better than The Rage Carry 2. Better, better than The Carry 2? They said The Rage Carry 2? Yeah, which is, I was talking about another movie that's like 23 years after, The Rage. Yeah, the yeah. The Rage Carry 2, not as good as uh, Brian De Palma's Carry. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I, I don't think, I didn't think it would be, yes. So, of course, it made a lot of money, and so, you know what that means? It's the Green, 80s. Greenlight a sequel. sequel. Originally, they weren't going to make it, but they found a good script um, by a, a screenwriter named Charles Edward Pogue, who is most well known for this. Oh, with the fly. He, he, yeah, so he, I guess Cronenberg really changed the script of the fly. But he did write the original script of the fly, of the fly remake. And he, so in, in, in two years, he had a, a, a sequel to a to Psycho, a remake to The Fly, and a remake of DOA. Wow. Which is a we weird... Did, did he also f- do, yeah. do Dragonheart, which is the Sean Connery talking dragon movie? Yes, I feel, yes. Charles Edward Pogue is mostly well, mostly known for being the writer of Dragonheart. Uh, <laughs> um, you, don't tell me you like Dragonheart. I have never seen Dragonheart. Um, 
or Call the Conqueror. He also wrote Call the Conqueror. I, I have seen Kroll, <laughs> but I haven't seen Call. Is is Kroll I, is Kroll not loved enough to be on this podcast, or is it too popular? Kroll. Well, I have. Well, I mean, Kroll or Kroll? Kroll. Kroll. The one. Kroll is a bad movie. Kroll is a bad movie. I when I Hey man, when I was five years old, I thought Kroll was great, but I watched I, it as again. As a kid, I, I was. I was disappointed by it because, like, I really thought he'd get to use the the glaive thing, the spinning blade thing, a bunch. They barely get to use it. It's yeah, I mean, good. that is the least of Kroll. Kroll, <laughs> Kroll is a terrible movie. Like, Just it, absolutely. Like, it should like, choose a genre. Be science fiction or fantasy. You can't be both. No, I mean, that's not. That is not Crawl's problem. <laughs> Crawl is a Crawl is an immensely boring film. That's Crawl's well, problem. Psycho Three is better but, than Crawl. Psycho Three is better. Yeah, than Psycho Crawl. Three. Psycho Three better than Crawl. Enough about Call on Crawl. But so it, they got. But, uh, before we go any further, I am a little surprised that Universal would give first-time director Anthony Perkins and you know, this writer hasn't done that much stuff. Like, like yeah. they, they, after the success of Psycho Two, and you know the 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 all the you know, the danger of like, oh, how do you, how do you dare mess with this classic? Hitchcock thing like Psycho 3 seems a little off the rails just from who's involved and I'll say having never having not watched this movie for you know over 40 years of my life and then finally putting it in it is such that unlike Psycho 2 when you put it in you know it's touching that it's showing you here's Psycho this is important this starts you're like did I put in the right movie like like the first scene the first scene in this movie God is dead screams a nun you're in a monastery you're like what what is this like where well, where's, so my, screams, where's my where's my where's my psycho movie? <laughs> she screams, "There is no god." There is no god. Not yes, because but, uh, yes. I know that because Negative Land sampled that. Oh, <laughs> I love Negative Land. Where is that? Is that is that? I, where... That's on a big atheist thing. I saw it live. Oh, I forgot well, the name it, of the album. It, but their, their hit single, Christianity is stupid. No, no, that's after that. After that. Oh, after god. that. And um, but yeah, so they got him. Anthony Perkins directed it. Uh, he, I think they gave him the directing part because he said he would direct it for free. Well, and, and so, I'll, I'll say, mm-hmm. but he does a better job than I would expect. I, he understands the character, obviously. Yeah, and, but I think he brings a weird vision to this. Like it, this, this looks completely different than Psycho One. It and looks two. completely different, and I feel like he he said in the production like he didn't want to focus on his character too much because now now Norman is the villain. Right, like, and so you don't see Norman for a while. Yeah, you spend a lot the, of time with with the other characters, with the other characters, and it builds up that first that opening the character, uh, um, Maureen, played by uh, D- Diana Scarwald, who Scar I don't know how to say her last name, Diana Scarwald, who I know from being the adult daughter in M- Mommy Dearest. Unfortunately for her, um, <laughs> she is also in Rumblefish and Silkwood. Oh. She she retired in in the twenty ten. She's in a lot of movies. Um, yeah, she's a good actress, and she plays a fallen nun who, in the opening scene, accidentally murders a nun. Well, she like she's about to commit suicide, but yeah, she's about to commit she, suicide. She, yes. she accidentally, horrifically, comically murders another nun, and then leaves the convent disgraced. But like, yes. I was, so I was initially <laughs> confused. Like at first, I assume, oh, this is a prequel. This is we must be showing the you know either Norma or uh, you know. Uh, the, the, um, the other mom um, backstory. This is obviously taking place like you know forty years in the past. It kind of looks like the past, but no, this is this yeah, is happening. Really this is happening yeah. concurrently. And Psycho Three starts one month after the ending of Psycho Two. It's like a direct yeah. direct sequel. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, the uh, a recurring theme is that they can't find Emma Spool. 
right. People so, are people are looking for Emma Spool. Spoiler: They're not going to find her. Um, so, so Maureen yeah. leaves the monastery, walks through the desert, and then here's like this. This already wasn't different enough. Suddenly, this bizarre Carter Burwell score kicks in, and I'm like, "What yeah. the hell? What the hell? What the hell's happening? Bring bring back boring Goldsmith. Like this music <clears throat> is weird. I right? love it. I love it. And well, you as that was. I, I, you probably owned the 12 inch remix, uh, Scream of Love. The uh, I did at one point. My, <laughs> the theme my of like a three. My, my go to psycho song is Bates Motel by Hitman, but um, good. but yeah, uh, Carter Burwell, Burwell was Anthony Perkins' first choice. Well, and he was he had just done Blood Simple with Coen Brothers, and he's yeah. done like almost all the Coen Brothers movies, but like yeah. this music is weird, it's like modern, it's not classical mostly, it's 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 kind of rocky, jazzy. Bluesy. I think that's a good call. I think it's a good like, you know, in the last one in Psycho 2, you gotta have one foot in the past, right? Because people are gonna think about it. I think with Psycho 3, Anthony Perkins wanted to move away from the from what was what was established. And Try something different. I mean, for good it, or bad, and he it, did. It, it, it ends up working with the film that we get, but like you know, I think Perkins, yeah, out of the gate is like we're turning this whole franchise left. Like this isn't this isn't what you thought. As much as Psycho Two was great, he's doing his own thing. Yeah. Yes, totally. And it's it's a weird score, weird choice, and then add on to the weirdness, Maureen Coyle, initials MC. Funny that. Um, but she's clearly so, styled. She's clearly styled to be reminiscent of you know of of uh, Marion uh, Crane. That's Mary the point. Crane. Yeah, that's the point because yeah. it drives. That's that's one of the things that drives Norman crazy. So she's on the side of the road, and then a rundown car picks her up. Inside is Dwayne, failed rock star Dwayne Duke, played by fucking Jeff Fahey. Oh, you know, and this is pre Lamar Man. He, you know, he's looking good. He's very sleazy. Yeah. He, he's kind of oh, sleazy Elvisy. Obviously, rock guy with a Confederate flag on his guitar case. Yeah, he is a sleaze ball McSleaze sleazy. He they pull over in the pouring rain. He attempts to assault her. He <sighs> yeah. leaves the car in the middle of the storm. He yeah, throws I, a suitcase out and I, like I, I, he's, go ahead. He's he's such an asshole. Yeah, he like he kind of pretends like they like you know. There's kind of a hey, hey, first throwback to Psycho when they're driving through the rain. It kind of like is a is a throwback to Marion. You know, you like point of view shot driving it's like obvious mm-hmm. homage um but you know he pulls over he's like oh let's get some sleep and then you know goes to try to basically rape her and she, you know she quickly wises up realizes what's going on get the hell out of there and he, he he drives away leaves her in the differential downboard throws her suitcase out there it's yeah, he's such an asshole and she is having the worst day <laughs> like, she, she is she's having a very a very very bad day yeah so she's like wanders through the desert downpour and mind you this is in california it's in yeah. the desert so much of this film rain torrential downpours it's it's very weird like it's raining yeah, like, it, almost the whole movie yeah it's it, well it makes it you know it gives it a good look i guess you yeah know? and she ends up norman is going to the to the cafe to pick up some stuff you see norman killing birds to make to stuff birds you know which is his most normal hobby and right, our, our, our introduction to him is him stuffing birds and then like yeah. there's a there's a split second where it cuts and shows him stuffing uh, 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 his mom's his, hand, his mom's arm. Yeah, yeah, his mom's arm. His new, and mom, mom two point new mom, mom two point Yes, and then while he's doing this, Dwayne Duke pulls up. He uh, Norman hires him to be the manager. Like on Norman the spot, goes, no re- no references. Just yeah, you're fine. Hey, you know who's not normal? Um, and then Norm, good old Norm, goes to the t- diner from the first film, 
with the same people are still there. So it still yes. has we didn't mention them, but um to an actor, Robert Allen Brown, he plays like the, the boss of the diner. I like him. You know, he's a little slice of a character actor. He he's he's good. Also the the sheriff, like I think he's really good too. Same sheriff. Yeah, say, Hugh yeah. Gillen, Sheriff John Hunt, and Lee Garlington, Myrna, they are all from in both movies. They all they are all they're all looking out for Norm. Like yep. they they think Norm's a okay in their book. He was a good employee. He's a good guy. He 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 just needs a break. And while he's at the diner, a, he sees Mar- he sees Marion. He sees Maureen. Kind of freaks out a bit. And while he's freaking out, there's a reporter there. Well, and, and his freak out his freak out involves like another like a black and white psycho flashback. You know, yes. like vis- visual match. He sees her suitcase with the, with the initials on it. Yeah, and like. Uh, yeah, but the, and, the, and this reporter is kind of our new antagonist, you know, like she, she's kind of filling the role uh, that that, Ly- that Lila did in the previous She's an film. interesting character because when I first when you first see her, I hated her. I absolutely hated her. And then when she deals with Dwayne being a prick to her, I liked her. What's the actress's <laughs> name again? Her, her name yeah. is Roberta Maxwell. She's not very well known i think she she's interesting casting because like i think i i i'd heard somewhere that originally that she had been written as like a younger ingenue and then that they decided to age the character up and make her more sassy and Mm. you know and antagonistic to to norman and i i I like that she's kind of not what you would expect she's like this feisty you know kind of urban fish out of water in this place like i don't know I, i i like her I'm surprised you you bristle at her so much. And oh, she, I like. And by the end of the film, she's kind of our hero. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, like, the she, she her character is a kind of her character starts as a trope that I do not like, which is the overly noisy, noisy the overly nosy reporter that nobody likes because the media is bad. <laughs> and um, as a former reporter, that irks me. So that part gets on my nerves. But as she becomes more of a character, and again, the scene where she's in a she's in a bar later with Dwayne Duke, and he keeps hitting on her, and she's able to knock him away, oh, yeah. knock him down a few pegs so well that 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 then she wins me over. Yeah, I, I think by the, the end start, of the start, I hated her. Yeah, you know, she she, she definitely because you know because of Psycho Two, I think you're coming into this like, oh, I'm on Norman's side, I'm rooting for Norman. Obviously, you know, like the rest of the town is kind of rooting for Norman, but like, you know, you we all do know that he is bad. You know, you know, you yeah. know that, and the like. So, so you know, I, I think Psycho Three's decision to to like lean into him being bad by the end uh, is 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 interesting too. Um, but yeah, I find I found her fun, and also uh, another podcast that was talking about Psycho Three, uh, Trace on Horror Queers described her as. She's she's a bit of the grace uh, uh, of the she's she's like Gail Gail from Scream. She's like very much like that kind yeah. of character. You know, she's That's like a good, yes, yeah, she's, a little less. She's very much Gail Weathers of Scream. You know, she's like like she's a bit of a bitch, but like she's she's tenacious and she's going to get the truth. And if it, if yeah. it involves microfiche, which it might by the end of this film, we'll get the truth. <laughs> yes, any good reporter, any reporter worth their salt knows how to navigate microfiche. God damn it! Um, in my day, anyway. But no, yeah, you're rooting for Norman at first, but you, you know, um, no, Norman well, is back to being Norman and Nor- and back to being his mother, right. and he well, 
when Norman sees that, ahead. That, that mystery girl, uh, Maureen, is going to his hotel, though, he makes a crafty escape and gets the hell out of this diner immediately, make, make, making him seem even sketchier to uh, Ms. Venable. Yes. And he decides, you know, Norm, Norm, his mother decides to kill Maureen. But when mother is going to kill Maureen, she's already decided to kill herself. Okay, ha this, ha, fuck this, you. This, okay, this scene is where... Is, Perkins got me with his direct with his choices. Like I was yes. like, like you, you think it's just going to be another murder scene, another grisly murder scene, and then like instead, she, you know, she has committed suicide by slitting her wrist, and like the effects work is really good. Like just the practical effects on that looks sh- yeah, like it's, blood, it's really like gruesome. pouring, really gruesome, really gross. Yeah, and you know, in her in her state, instead of seeing mother, she kind of transmogrifies into the Virgin Mary and believes she's having a, this you know religious experience. Uh, Yes. Uh, instead, instead of about to be murdered. <laughs> yes, and and that kind of uh, that snaps Norm out of it. And right, and so the next thing we see is it's POV of her waking up in the hospital, and Norman has rescued her. You know, he's brought her to the hospital, yeah. and he's the hero, and everyone is so proud of Norman for doing the right thing. And it's like, well, this like, scene, was, this, yeah, this scene, this delicate scene of the two of them, and like him realizing that he can get some sort of pleasure in another way by not, you know, by like helping people. It, 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 it's interesting. And based on everything you know about Norman, it's like, Oh, is he going to get redeemed? Are they, is she going to fix him? Are they going to find each other? And you know, like there is this weird glimmer of like, Oh, maybe this is a positive way this could go. Yeah. yeah. Cause at this point, at this point, the only person we've seen Norman kill after being out of the hospital is Emma Spool and she's a murderer. Right. So, you know, I mean, yeah, she, she, she basically thing. just confessed to all these murders. So, like, in a way, if that's, yeah, like, if that's the only if, murder I, that he does, he's okay. <laughs> in, 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 in movie world, he's okay. Right. But that doesn't last. He does save her, but there, but Dwayne brings home a girl at the bar, doesn't bother to learn her name, kicks her out of his hotel, out of his room. I believe, after her, I believe her character's name is Red. The character's name is Red, but that could be her hair. Well, okay, and don't just skip past this scene. So here's again where the the film film already kind of had me. It's like, oh, this is weirder than I expected and sleazier. This scene of him kind of doing a little light show in his... A, he's been there for like six hours and he's plastered weird, (laughs) weird (laughs) pornographic like collages on every surface, right? This isn't your... You're only here for a few days, dude, really? You brought all this? Okay. And then like, so he's like, you know, she's almost nude and dancing around and he's potentially nude, but like covering himself up with lamps. Yes. And the lighting, the lighting in the scene is very weird. Neon, like greenish red. And it's, it's a weird scene. And why is it here? I don't know, but it's here. Here it is. It's it's, it's the eighties. You need some tits. But but yeah, like it's a little TNA. It's a little weird. And it's in me, you know, I'm a huge Lynch, Lynch fan. I was like, it's a little, it's a little lynchy. (laughs) It is a little lynchy. It is a little lynchy. And we'll get to, uh, yeah. yeah, this film is well, very stylish. It has a lot of good transitions. Like when Norm leaves the hospital, oh, he yeah. closes the door and he's in he's in he's mother's in, room. He's in mother's room right there. Yeah, yeah. Dude, there's there's cool. several there's several good transitions and and visual matches like mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah good stuff. But yeah, after he kicks her out of her room, Norm uh, mother kills her, and then a homecoming. Group comes to the hotel. Well, and there, for a party. And there was the there was the fear. Oh, it's the homecoming game. There's gonna be all the cabins are rented out. Uh, and then like so, so, suddenly, like the '80s slasher movie 
arrives like and like here's just like fresh meat it's like and like and like it changes the tone of the film too because something it's like raucous partying and college kids everywhere yes and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder he he does kill somebody at that point but that that's a weird murder because it's like the most innocent person there is the one he kills oh, yeah you know the poor girl who isn't who isn't coupled off who isn't drinking she just goes yeah. in the office to use the bathroom and gets gets murdered on the toilet gets murdered and then also it, you know it's, it's not that great of a kill too it's just kind of slashed to the throat i mean it looks pretty it's good brutal. But like it's brutal you um, know you know what scene i think we might have skipped have we skipped the date scene where norman and maureen go out on like <laughs> Uh, on this like cute, this like cute little date actually. Again, like Anthony yeah. Perkins, you know, like I think he he did want to try to humanize Norman, yeah. and like you know, it's very gentle. They they're both like drinking wine at dinner, and like they're both getting a little drunk, and mm-hmm. then they waltz in a room with a bunch of old people. It's it's cute, <laughs> and then it's cute, yeah. And, and then he murders you know, somebody. But before that, doesn't don't they? Like you know, and by okay. Also, this has been like a day where she like she, you know, she was in the monastery about to kill herself, murdered somebody, came here, tried to kill herself. Next day, she's on this date, and like suddenly after a glass of wine, she's getting a little like you know, oh now I'm in love with you, Norman, and like yeah, you know, like it's, it's I'll say the turn, the, Maureen's turn and her character for me ultimately is is not really substantial and not really fulfilling. And it made me mm. appreciate Mary more. Cause like yeah. they both kind of serve a weirdly similar purpose in these films, but Mary's a much more believable and like understandable character. Maureen's like this strange tangle of, of just like, events and trauma. Um, yeah. Yeah. And there are a lot of like the timing is kind of strange because they go back to the hotel. She wants to have sex. Right, um, she like she's like wanting wanting to have sex, and inst- and she's like calling up to him, and he's like, you know, he I think he's afraid he'll kill her, kill her. Yeah, right. That's and, well, yeah, because it. I they don't flat out say it; they flat out say it in Psycho Four. Um, but like when Norman gets an erection, someone has to die. Okay, <laughs> pretty yeah. much, pretty much, pretty much. I mean, because like in Psycho, in the original Psycho, he's supposed to be masturbating. Right when well, he's looking at her, like, that makes that very clear in his remake. Oh, um, I didn't, I didn't. So there you go. But yeah, oh, straight so, up, dude. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, straight. I, I, I bet. I guess so. Yes. But so <laughs> well, he right. leaves. Yeah, but he and, leaves well, her, and, and then that's when the other woman comes and finds her in, in, in the room. Right. And then, but like she, yeah. When Maureen is down there trying to call up to him, he's like grabbing a knife and just like cutting his hand with a knife. It's pretty. It's pretty fucked up scene, that's actually. A, yeah, yeah, and so. One, I don't know if it's a, hmm, how do I phrase this? It's kind of a problem, but kind of why I like the movie in that its tone is kind of broken. So when Norman is in his room trying desperately not to murder Maureen, he's grab he's holding the knife by the blade. By the blade. By the yeah. blade. And it's brutal and it's kind of scary and it's heartbreaking in its own yeah. way. And then, but then when he does kill Patsy, the other guest, and mother, as mother, mother dumps the guest in the ice chest. It's, you know, right, which leads to an amazing comedic scene. Yeah, that it becomes <laughs> a black. It becomes a dark comedy. And yeah. here's a weird thing. So the studio. So there's a let me look. This, so the body's in the ice chest, the ice box outside. The sheriff is grabbing ice and eating it with blood on it and doesn't know it. 
Yeah. So the well, body's first, right first, there. First, you know, you, you know the body's in there, and then huh. you know you see him reaching in. He's getting closer and closer to like the bloody ice. Yeah, it's 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 great. But it, I really feel like Universal tried to make that a scene a thing. So in the in the run up to the movie in the promotion, they actually had that actress, uh, Kate she 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 see I don't know how to say her name. Um, she as Patsy Boyle. She is oh she also that actress directed uh poison ivy whoa yes so and she was also murdered in uh other films um i think <laughs> but so yeah but she is giving interviews talking about that scene and then in a lot of the like the officially written blurbs for psycho 3 they'll say norman's back and the hotel's br- hotel's open and has a brand new ice box <laughs> So I feel like that was the centerpiece they were trying to make it, but it's too weird. It's such yeah. a weird that everything about that scene is strange. That's weird that in 1986 they would try to market with that because I think I th- I thought it was very clever and funny and you know, black comedy. Um, but yeah, that's not exactly the the main scene of the film. Yes, I also want to point out the actress who plays Red. I have seen her murdered three times. <laughs> I, mean, um, I like I like her 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 murder in the phone booth. Actually, I think it's 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 pretty brutal. And like just seeing her stepping on the broken glass with her bare feet, and like yeah, it's pretty yeah. good. Yeah. But yeah. she is murdered in Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, and she is murdered in Slumber Party Massacre Two. So, you know, it's a good work if you can get it. But uh, yeah, the, 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 that that scene is such a weird tone. And then from there, I feel the movie just gets even. Well, I feel like as we, to, as we get into the third act here, it's like it's about to go off the rails. I mean, I actually I think the end the end of this movie is like a bit of a of, of a mess, and it really made me appreciate the well handled climax of Psycho Two. Yeah, and it know? also made me appreciate the cinematography of Psycho Two. Yeah. So the cinematographer in this is Bruce Surtees. Who is a good cinematographer? He no, he he's you know he was nominated for an Oscar for uh, Lenny, and mm. he did cinematography for Beverly Hills Cop, um, Dirty Harry, um, but I feel like parts of it are too stylized, like even like the diner, the diner in Psycho Two has a very natural light to it, very bright, very inviting. In Psycho Three, it's much darker. Like I mean, everything the, the light, in this, the lighting throughout everything. this movie is is weird, weird, and sometimes it's yeah. good, sometimes it's it's not good. You know? Yeah, but it's it's almost always too dark. Yeah. Like I feel like and into into the ending too. So the the reporter has done her research. She figured out that Emma Spool, who she was crazy, well, she before, murdered somebody. Wait, yes. Wait, before 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 she shows up at the house, though, we have. We have the weird turn for uh for Duke where like he you know oh been, I forgot he, about Duke right he's Duke's well, and, like, fate, he's yes. been, he's been kind of you know he's looking for money there's been several scenes where he had the opportunity to steal from Norman and he hasn't yet but he's a, he's he's looking for money and like so he he sees a way to blackmail Norman once he realizes what's happening because like throughout the as the, as it's going on Norman's getting louder and louder talking his mother and like so eventually he goes up there and takes the corpse of mother hostage back into his <laughs> back into his cabin and you know norman has to go and rescue mother in this final showdown 
you know, and it's a weird turn because like, even though Duke was clearly an asshole and like not a great guy, like it, it didn't seem he didn't seem this twisted. And it makes me wonder because I I've, I also had heard that like in an earlier version of the script that he was going to be the killer. That he yeah. Was another be, version of the script yeah. was that Duke is obsessed with Psycho, obsessed with Norman Bates, and is a copycat killer. Which yeah, I, I feel like there's a, still like vestiges of that in this movie. Well, he's a, a weird bit. character also because he attempts to assault Maureen early on, and then when she comes back, he kind of honestly apologizes. Like right, he doesn't never try like, anything with her again. He never yeah. tries anything with her again. He's like, I'm sorry, that was the, the you know I was road weary. And I'm not I'm not excusing his character. His character's a bastard, but he's not black and white evil early on. Right, he, or, like, he, or someone who would like he, kiss some kiss a mummified corpse, which he does. yeah. And then, but then he kisses the mummified corpse to blackmail a serial killer. And you know who you shouldn't blackmail a serial killer because <laughs> guess what fucking happens to you? Well, and I love um, I love I love their showdown with Woody Woodpecker. It's insane. Like it's, oh yeah, it's, and then we have Woody. Yeah, so like Anthony Perkins said in interviews that this was not a comedy. He was not but playing it. Woody Woodpecker is playing Woody during this Woodpecker fight. is playing. <laughs> and he's like, stop laughing at me, mother. Stop laughing at me, mother is so good. Yeah, that scene is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, so then after all that, also, <laughs> Dwayne ends up in the swamp because that swamp is bottomless. Right. Well, and I'll say the scene the scene of him getting out of the car, that's pretty good, like underwater, you know? Um but yeah. Dur- during this time, we have been cutting more and more to our true hero, uh, Ms. Venerable, Tracy Venable. She's been yeah. doing research. She found out. She went back and talked to the original owner of the diner who hired, you know, Emma, his mother, Emma Spool. Yeah, right, Emma Spool. We found out she had also killed somebody. Yeah, she was in the asylum. And, and Tracy Venable convinces Maureen to leave the hotel, but Maureen comes back. Because she believes that her and Norman are meant to be together, and foolishly, that back, yes. you know, and she goes to, you know, uh, be with Norman. Mother yells at Norman. Norman accidentally pushes her down the stairs. Those the most dangerous stairs <laughs> the in cursed, film history. The cursed stairs where she she gets, she gets impaled on by Cupid's a, arrow. arrow. <laughs> then when. Venable comes in and sees all these candles arranged around. Yeah, in like in five minutes, he's had time to clean up the corpse. Like, yeah. arra- arrange like beautiful candles, one in her hands. Like it's like what? <laughs> yes, but my favorite, my favorite is she's arra- She's on the couch laying there, and Venable just says, "Oh, you poor, stupid, naive girl." <laughs> Exactly. And so at this point, at this point, you're on Team Tracy. You're like, yes, you're like you're you're right. Like that girl, like Maureen's character. So throughout this is you know you know what this entire Psycho Three movie was giving me it was giving me very strong Twin Peaks season two vibes and those aren't necessarily the vibes you want but this, they're the vibes no. that it's giving it's giving yeah. a co- combination of like you know the weird bad James James episode where he goes and you know uh, is with the older woman or more so the character of Maureen is exactly Annie Blackburn like the none who tried to slit her wrist who ends up falling in love with agent cooper their relation it's it's so similar that it's actually i wonder did lynch and frost copy psycho 3 like it's a little crazy i i haven't watched twin peaks since i was a kid so i don't remember much much about but it it's but a I very don't... similar character it's like a nun who tried to kill herself who's like pure of heart and kind of you know not much there there's like not much going on there and then like their love is doomed um but and yeah like 
yeah, Ma- I, Maureen to me never really felt like a real character in this whole movie. Yeah. yeah. And when Norman shows up in the end dressed as mother, it's it's comedic. And it because like that's the, you know, when they were making the original psycho, well they never really um, showed it to you. And then we're not until the very very end. And when you watch that now, it's kind of like it kind of takes you out of the movie now, seeing Anthony Perkins in the dress because it's just such a weird image. And in here, it's a little creepy, but it's more funny than anything. And Venable convinces, yeah, go ahead. And the humor, like again, Psycho Three is is pretty funny. Like during this wild chase where he's chasing her around the house, there's a point where like he's chasing her up the stairs, he stops to straighten a painting on the wall. It's it's hilarious. Like laugh laugh out loud funny. Yeah, and she she's able to convince Norman that. Emma Spool is not his mother. She's his aunt. Which is impressive, but to the detriment of this film, because it is like a five-minute chase sequence where poor Tracy Venable is having to like spew out so much exposition, this giant mm-hmm. exposition mm-hmm. dump that we wait to the very end of the movie to give you. Yeah. It does, shockingly, actually convince Norman to not attack her, but instead to destroy the effigy of Mother 2.0. Yes, and but this whole scene is also too dark. It's. Yes. I feel like it's not well lit. The direct Anthony Perkins did a good job for most of the film, but I feel it kind of falls apart there. And when I first watched Psycho Three last year, I'm I loved it, and but watching two and three back to back in in the course of one week a second time, I liked Psycho Two more and I like Psycho Three less. Mm. I still like both films, but Psycho Two, in my opinion, is much. It's superior in every way. Well, and but then so at the very end when he destroys the effigy and doesn't doesn't kill uh, Tracy, yeah, and he's like free of mother, and you're like, oh, we actually when we maybe we finally got somewhere, maybe he really is completely, totally, actually free of mother and can be done with this. But then we have to get a coda singer where he's stolen mother's hand, you know? And yeah, it's like, no, you still you still got mother, and that like, doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, kind of undo, undoes everything so, that we did. Yeah. This movie came out July fourth. They pushed it to the summer. They they had such high faith. Well, Psycho in this two film. did so well in summer. Yes. previously. Um, but this movie opened at number eight. Well, well, and what's stunning is the fact that it came out the same day as many other classics, cult classics, and bombs. But like, yeah, you know, the fact that it did better than like it, I think it did you know better than some of these other films that came out. It did better than Prince's Under a Cherry Moon same day. Well, that's a bad movie. So, um. I but, think it might, yes. be, might even have done better than Big Trouble in Little China, maybe. Well, that that, that that movie bombed. But yeah, it opened behind. This not, not, not all these films came out that week, but this is what it was competing against. It opened behind Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Running Scared, Legal Eagles, Top Gun, Back to School, Ruthless People, and The Karate Kid Part 2. I was seeing, uh, Karate, and, Kid, I was seeing Karate Kid Part 2 that week. Yeah. Yes, and it beat The Great Mouse Detective, which didn't open strong but stayed around for a long time. Uh, about last night, Under the Cherry Moon and Big Trouble in Little China. And mm. then it left the top 10 after the first week. 
was out of the top 20 after three weeks, it made $14 million, less than half of Psycho 2. Well, but and, yeah, there were there yeah. were a ton of other horror sequels later that year, too. Yeah. So I think, I think horror, hound, horror hounds probably weren't going to see this. And by 1986, you were already starting to get like the horror fatigue, I think, was starting to set in. Weirdly, um, Ebert thought this was better than Psycho 2. What's your problem, Ebert? I, I get it. I, I mean, it's an interesting film. Like, it's it's... It is a flawed. He gave it three stars. Like he didn't think it was amazing. Well, he does like he does like sleaze. It's sleazy. It's weird. And even with the exception of it being too dark, even when it's failing, it's failing in an interesting way. So there's well, and that. It is. It is a, it's also less violent. It's almost less. It's kind of less gory. Than yeah, it is funny. It's because <laughs> the 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 tagline was the most shocking of them all. And that'd be, that'd be he, psycho too. Yeah, that'd be psycho too. You can't top that mouth. Scene, but they did refilm parts of it to make it bloodier um mm. on on behest of the studio but yeah it just didn't didn't hold a candle to psycho 2 and it's a shame like i i do think it's worth watching i think yeah, it's an I, interesting I, I, movie yeah. after finally watching it i think it's bad reputation is not deserved i think like no. is, is it you know is it a bad horror sequel no is it a less than great sequel to psycho and psycho 2 maybe because those two are so good but it's still better than a lot of part threes and i'm glad i i'm glad i watched and it. you haven't seen it but it's better than part four so well, really well, quick say, this makes me want to watch part four just knowing that it, you know it was perkins it's a prequel and a sequel yeah so i will i'll really quick talk about part four so you haven't seen it so i'll keep no. it brief but part four was made for tv and it was made showtime, for, I, so it I believe, network. yeah, Showtime, yeah, Showtime, yeah, yes. Yeah. And it, it did air uh, in theaters in some countries, but it was made It was made for TV. It was directed by Mick Garris. Mick Garris directed um, Critters 2. One of my uh, favorites, Sleepwalkers. Sleepwalkers. Uh, could we um, do Sleepwalkers on here? It's pretty malign. I've never seen Sleepwalkers. <laughs> oh my write... god, you have to watch Sleep- okay, Sleepwalkers. Okay, okay. He did write the story for Batteries Not Included and um a few other things like that. He 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 got around and it was written by a guy named Joseph Stefano. Joseph Stefano he wrote a lot of outer limits. Mm. And he also wrote he he wrote he wrote Psycho. Oh. Um one of the writers for Psycho. Um so there's that, but the end, so it's a it, the movie has a framing device. So Psycho Four ignores Psycho Two and Three, and in Psycho Four, Norman's out of prison again. So it has to ignore Two and Three because no one's going to let him out of prison again. <laughs> uh, fourth time, yeah, we think you're better now. And he is married to his psychiatrist, which is you know unethical. Uh, state of California and she is pregnant and he is calling a radio show hosted by CCH Pounder oh and now you have me really wanting to watch it yes he's good in it and she is saying how it's it's a topic it's matricide and he calls in to talk about how he killed his mother and so the flashbacks are interesting you get to see young Norman Norman Bates Played by E.T.'s e. Henry, right? Yeah, E.T. Henry Thomas plays uh, Norman Bates. Olivia Hussey plays um, Norma Bates. Mm. She's excellent. It does a very good job of showing the fucked up world they lived in. There's a great scene where she's kind of sexually teasing him. Mm. And he gets an erection. 
and she puts a dress on him and puts makeup on him and makes him squat when he pees. Wow. So it's it's a dark movie, and I feel like it does, much like Psycho 2, it humanizes Norman Moore. You're like, oh, this is why he did it. But it jumps around too much. Like It, it, it doesn't really show you the descent of Norman deciding to kill his mother. He's like, well, one day I had to kill her. And it shows the murder. The murder's gr- that's a, a, a good scene. But then it ends with him trying to k- maybe killing his wife and then going to the old hotel. It, it falls apart there. Um, I would say Psycho 4 is not worth watching. Mm, unlike, yeah. unlike Psycho 2 and 3, you can skip Psycho 4. I'll move it down the queue. I definitely am yes. not going to track down the original made-for-TV Bates Motel. I've heard sounds- good things about it, and that has that has that has Lori Petty in it. It does have Lori Petty, who I who I do like. I was also Bates Motel curious the recent revival with Rihanna, but I hear it's very hit and miss. Well, I've heard it's not very, and this this is not a knock against it. It is a drastically working. Right. Like it does not have much. Like vaguely, fine. Yeah, vaguely inspired by. This yeah. is a good idea, I think. At this point, you can't do the same thing. No. You know, so no, I recommend Psycho Two and Three. Psycho Four, no. And I feel like these pe- these movies, Psycho Two, Psycho Three, underrated, fascinating examples of how to make a sequel twenty plus years later. Can you think of any movie? It is twenty twenty two. What movie from 2000 era could make a, would have a good sequel now? You're going to make Magnolia 2? I mean, it's, it's a dicey proposition. I mean, it very rarely pays off. I mean, I think for me, the only one you know, in the last decade that was, uh, besides Twin Peaks The Return, which I would, you know, it's an 18-hour film, um, you know, I think Blade Runner 2049 did a pretty, pretty good job. Um, okay, okay. Mm. I mean, yeah. horror, I think horror has shown us that like there, it is possible. Like, I really liked Five Cream, screen, you know, the new Scream. Like, I, I really liked it. You know, oh, I've I, seen I, that. I think, yeah, I think it is possible to twenty years later keep something fresh and relevant. Um, but for something like, you know, for, for like Psycho Two, it, it's, it's it, imagine like I'm trying to think of like you know a serious like f- you know a serious film that you wouldn't think would ever get a sequel getting a sequel because that's kind of what Psycho 2 was. You know, it would be like... Gladiator. Uh, which, is, which is happening. Well, they've, happen- been saying, they've been saying that, that happening? for... They've been saying that for a decade. Or, okay, uh, make a sequel to Almost Famous. Or, right. Or I'm, I'm looking at movies from the year 2000. I Billy mean, Elliot 2. I, w- <laughs> I would like, uh, I would like um, Cronenberg to do Existence 2. Well, he kind of is. He's remaking. He's remaking his first movie now, right? Though with, with Vigo, right? Uh, yeah, that what's 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 looked messed up. Do you, you have know, a, a, Do you have a good good one about other? I I'm just I'm scanning films that came out 22 years ago and like like I, mean, I don't know, funny. man. I, I also, oh, I brother, really like, oh brother, where art thou? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I I really also like the Matrix Res- Resurrections, which it kind of had some of that feeling to me of like you know you yeah. can go back 20 years later and have something new to say. You know? Yeah, but belated sequels almost never work, and it's, so it's rough. that does make Psycho Two even more impressive, and even Psycho Three. You know, again, the have idea watched, of making yeah, go ahead. Okay, have you watched? There's a documentary that came out I think a few years ago about Psycho One called Seventy Eight Fifty Two. Yeah, have you watched that? Is I recommend it, that. That's a good documentary. 
Yeah, I do um, want to. I, I do want to watch that. I hear it's quite good. Like, and I hear there's a good. Yeah, there's a good the, documentary. Yeah. Go ahead, I'm the sorry. title, the title of that, in case you don't like, seventy fifty two. It's like the number. It's the number of uh, shots and cuts, right? In that scene. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's good. And I've heard good things about the documentary Psycho Legacy, which does talk about all three, all four movies. Ooh. I've heard good things about that, and I have That's heard a- good things about Bates Motel, which the 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 old TV movie, okay. which is on a, a DVD. You can buy it on a DVD. Um. And like I said, it has Lloyd Petty, it has Moses Gunn, and it has Bud Court. I like Bud Court. I like He's, Bud that's, Court. That's Hale and Hale and Mard. So, yeah, I, I, I think there's a lot in this universe. Psycho has such a large shadow over pop culture that it kind of dwarfs everything else. But I feel there's a lot in this universe that's worth watching. So yeah, and, and, and I think they, they stand up to rewatching as well. Like I, I picked yeah. up the screen. Oh, the Totally. Screen. And Scream Factory has good Blu-rays out. Um, I, I there's commentaries. I need. I'm, I'm actually going yeah. back and I want to, want to listen to the commentaries. Yeah, so, yeah. Unfortunately, I had to buy these in Japan, and the Japanese ones did not have commentary, so I did miss out on commentary tidbits. So sorry, everybody who was watched the commentary tracks. But yeah, yeah, and, and, and yeah, you are right. These hold up really good to repeat viewings, especially Psycho Two, because once you know that what's going on with the gaslighting, you can see it more. Oh yeah, and, and that's I think kind it's of fun. fun. Sh- and it's fun to show to people too, because you know it's a real surprise as you go through oh, it. But like people, people won't expect it to be good, especially now. Yes. I think like people are like, yes. what? there's no way this is good. You know? And yeah. that, and I, that mouth, that knife to the mouth, oh, is one good. of the like again. I've already said it. One of the most shocking death scenes. I mean, yeah. hopefully you've like, seen the movie now. Show this believe- movie to people. <laughs> Blow the fucking mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's and like you know, it's just it's it's stunning she came back for that. Yeah, like I, th- I, think, yeah. I, th- I think, wow. Um, so yeah, I feel like this this was a better you know we had a double feature, but both these movies are better than the Apple. I guess I guess it was fun to talk about good movies for a change. Yes, ha 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 ha. Better than the Apple. Yeah, Psycho Two, better than the Apple. <laughs> Psycho Four, better than the Apple. Most things better than the Apple. Anyway, Shane, thank you for coming today to not talk about the Apple. If people want more non-Apple content from you, um, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Shane Watch. Yeah, there's not much Apple content to go around. I, ho- I hope one day there'll be an Apple reboot. You think of this world of everything getting rebooted, requels, like, come on, someone, like, you know, Hulu, somebody make an Apple reboot. And you can find me online at... <laughs> I'm not not touching that. You can find me online on Twitter at Lost Turntable, on my website, which I'll update someday. Again, LostTurntable.com, on my YouTube channel, Lost Turntable, and on my other podcast, which Shane is a fan of. I love allegedly. it. I love the prog rock, and I like how yes. you've taken the reins from Jeremy um, when he's too busy to do it and done a lot of extra episodes. So, yeah, yes. I really... I uh, Alexander's, Alexander's Ragtime Band. Ragtime Band. It's a long name. I, I, I didn't name it. Long name. Don't I mean, blame I mean, me. It has meaning, but it's it's hard. It is it, it is hard to recommend to people. Like you know, like what did you say? Yeah. yeah, I get. Yeah, but I'm not. Gonna, anyway, uh, last episode of that, I interviewed Tom Brislin, the keyboardist from Kansas, and I think next episode, me and Elliot are probably going to talk about Manfred Mann's Earth Band. I'm not sure yet. You, you keep um, selling me on things I hadn't heard. I I got into the Soft Machine because you guys. I think I'm about to. I'm, I'm sorry. About, I like the first two albums. Okay, stop there. 
I did, and uh, you told me that. Uh, and yes. like, oh. I, I think I'm about to pick up that England England album. That looks that sounds pretty. It's good. a good record. It's a good record. Yeah. But anyway, that's enough. We as out whenever this podcast starts talking about Prague, it's time to wrap it up. So that's it for this episode of Center Oblivia. I'll see y'all again in a couple of weeks. Until then, take care. Where no man walk, King Arthur's band.